Open to 2 Peter chapter 1. Y'all, I've really enjoyed this study. I've enjoyed studying and preparing for it. And uh, just just going through God's Word like, like we have been. There's so much uh, that the Lord does in our lives and teaches us through this. But I want you to... Uh, we're going we're gonna to move to some new, new Scriptures tonight. But what we covered last week was the things that God wants to add to our faith, add to your faith virtue and so forth. And, and the Bible uh, and Peter and the Holy Ghost just uh, supposes faith. In other words, it, it, it assumes faith because he's writing to believers. And that's what it says, add to your faith. He doesn't say add faith to anything. He's saying you're starting with faith because he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then he says, add to your faith these different virtues or graces. And then he says, uh, for, for if these things in verse 8 be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember one of our themes for this, pat, for this book is the word knowledge in one form or another. Uh, this intimate, uh, total revelation knowledge of the Lord uh, familiar with, totally acquainted with is what it means. And it is possible to know the Lord and to truly be saved and yet in your life be unfruitful for the kingdom of God, for the work of God. And even maybe it's a great part in your growth in the Lord or your, or your, uh, your testimony for the Lord. And we don't want to be that way. I mean, this is obvious. He's saying we don't want to be this way. So he talks about the, the Christian life a couple of things are very obvious. So Peter, we see it in 1 Peter and 2 Peter that, that the life in Christ is a life that is to uh, be growing. It's not stagnant. And if our Christianity is ever stagnant, then we need to get on our knees and meet with the Lord, call upon the Lord and find out why that is. Because it's irregular. It's unhealthy. It's, it's not of the Lord. We should be growing and moving on in the Lord. Not just a little bit. Uh, he says, if these things be in you and abound. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. He talks about this abundant grace and abundant knowledge of the Lord. And so, uh, let's keep reading a little bit. But he that lacks these things is blind. Remember, we talked about this last week. And cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's talking about a believer. He's writing to believers. And this passage talks about a believer, but a believer who's not in the right state and not where they should be spiritually. Okay, And the problem is they're lacking in these things. They're not adding to their faith. They're not going on with the Lord. There's not brotherly <laughs> kindness and charity and perseverance and agape love. Uh, they're lacking in these, in these things. And so what's happened is they become blind, spiritually blind, and uh, specifically, he says, cannot see afar off. And we talked about that last week. That's like a nearsightedness spiritually. It's where all you can see is the things right around you. All you can see is what's happening with the elections you know, in the last couple of weeks. All you can see is uh, what's happening at work today and what the boss said today. All you can see is, uh, I had a lousy day today or this week coming up is going to be really hard. All we can see is right here and now. And the kids in school, and one of them sick, and this, and all we, and that's those things are real. We do see those, but spiritually speaking, God wants us to have this real clear sight. Like all the fog, the wind blows, it blows all the fog away. Oh, there's the Lord. 
Okay, there's his plan for my life. There he, he's still sitting on his throne like he said he was. He's still got it under control, even though the elections didn't go the way we wanted them to. Even though uh, work is, seems like it's out of control right now, the busyness, our schedule. And so we don't want to get caught up just in the here and now, although we're living in the here and now. Uh, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so we are not to be short-sighted spiritually. The whole way that we live this life, it says in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, is that we're to run the race set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So in the midst of work and financial things and getting the kids through school and getting a wedding and you know all the things that are going on, we need to see Christ always sitting on His throne in His authority, in His power, in His love, in His kindness to us. We need to thank Him. We need to grow in Him. We need to be about our Father's business like Jesus was. Amen? And so, again, not in scanty little measures either if these things be in you and abound. Well, it's only possible by the Lord. It's a working of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we abide in Christ by faith. But we're also, uh, besides it being a growing thing, in this whole walk with the Lord, we are active participants. That's another thing that you find. We're, this is not Christianity is not a spectator sport. This is not watching on the golf channel and going, you know, nice putt. You know, this this is we're active in it, and the Lord's called us, and we're to respond to Him by faith. And we hit our knees in prayer, and we go on a, on mission trips, and we go, and you know what I'm saying? We're, we're involved in this thing. We don't do any of that to save ourselves. The Lord has already saved us. But as believers. There's a life and a calling. We've really been talking about it a lot on Wednesdays and on Sunday mornings. Okay, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. And that means like stumble, uh, fall, fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is still a little bit of review and we're going to carry on into tonight's uh, Scriptures as well. But you see this is positive. This is, this is uh, something that ought to be encouraging to us that if we're, uh, these things are abundant in our lives and if we're growing in Christ, it's not only saying you're going to go to heaven one day because everybody that's born again is going to heaven. Everybody that said even with the least little measure of faith, and it was sincere faith, as a grain of mustard seed faith, you know, we're saved. The blood of Jesus has washed us. He's robed us in His righteousness. We belong to Him. The question here is not salvation. The question, question here is, how are you and I going to enter into the kingdom of God? Are we going to hear our, our Savior say, like in the parable of the talents, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because it's possible to hear that, right? It's not impossible. And I believe there's going to be people that hear that and people that don't. And there's going to be people that hear that maybe to a greater degree than others. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And that we're going to go in uh, with rewards that God's going to give us for how we lived our lives as believers on the earth. Not for how you lived as a lost man before you got saved. That is all under the blood of Jesus. And He removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. 
We won't be judged for that. We won't be harassed with that. We won't be reminded of that. Christ is our righteousness. But how do you want to enter into those gates? And how do I want to enter into the gates of heaven? Do I want to enter in when, when the Lord comes back? I'm, you know, I've, I've been missing church for the last three months and I hadn't prayed in six months. And I'm, you know what I mean? And I haven't told anybody about Jesus in over a year. And have, you know, do we want to enter into heaven like that? Or do we want to enter into heaven where we're so close to the Lord? What's that song? I want to get so close to Him that it's no big change on the day that Jesus calls my name. We can do that. And it's going to be a big change. Hallelujah. But we can be walking closely to the Lord when He calls us home. And, and He says, so shall there be an entrance ministered unto you abundantly. Okay, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to read the next four verses and we'll talk about these tonight specifically. Verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I, shall, I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the, our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Okay, uh, the next passage we'll get into next week. There's some really wonderful things there as well, but I didn't want to uh, rush into that part tonight. So let's look at this here for a minute. Paul, uh, Peter says he doesn't want to be negligent of something. And he wants to be sure, he wants to be careful and cautious and diligent that he is faithful, a faithful servant of the Lord. And one of the things that he is called to do by the Holy Ghost and by his Lord and Savior is to put the believers in constant and continual remembrance of the truths of God. And we are to move on and progress and grow. The Bible says like in, in Hebrews 6, for example, let us go on under perfection. Not laying again the foundation of, you know, of repentance from dead works and baptisms. And what, what, these aren't contrary, by the way. Uh, we go on. We don't, we, leave, we don't leave these things in the sense of leaving baptism and repentance as though it's, it's pointless. We, we go on from there. But it's still the foundation. We never leave the foundation. There will always be repentance, the dead works, uh, repentance from dead works and, and baptisms and so forth. But, but let us go on unto perfection. And so, in, in, in order for me to do that and you to do that, it's, it's not a one-time thing, y'all. It's not, uh, tell me once and I've got it. You know, maybe you're being trained for a new job or something in school. And some things you can catch on right away. Show me one good time. I know when I'm working with tools or something uh, or learning something new or some how to cut how to do this sheetrock or how to fix this plumbing or whatever. Uh, I need to see it. I need you to show me how to do it. I think I'll have it after that, you know. Um, but the things of God is not just like well, I've got it now. I've got it. And then see you later. The things of God, we're constantly being, we've got it. It's in us. The truth is in us. Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit's in us. We're saved. But we constantly have to be reminded. Because the world and everything in the world 
is dragging us away or trying to drag us away. And all it takes is one day. You know what I'm talking about. All it takes is half of a day. A bad day like from, from breakfast to lunch at work or something. And we're already distracted. We're starting to doubt sometimes what we ever believed in the first place. We're wondering if God's real. We're wondering does He care. We're wondering if uh, He's going to answer this prayer. So what do we have to do? We've got to stir ourselves up in remembrance and said a thousand times and a thousand times a thousand. The Lord knows our frame that we're, we're frail. He knows our weaknesses. He's strong. So our focus has to be on the Lord because there's not one thing, I've said it often, there's not one thing in this earthly life and I'm talking about apart from the Lord Himself, okay? There's not one thing in this earthly life that is going to build you up in Christ. There's nothing. A workplace, you know, just friends, just being friends, TV, music, you know, nothing, wealth, riches, nothing is going to build you up in Christ. The Lord's going to build you up in Christ. The body of Christ, which He dwells in, His body, the body of believers, the Word of God, the Holy Ghost in us, there's not a lot of things. There's more than enough, but there's not many things, okay? And so there's a lot of things outside of that, and all of them are going to work to erode your faith. Even if it's not intentional, Satan would certainly be intentional in trying to uh, riddle your faith and sift your as wheat that he might have you. But everything in life, just the secular, just picking up the newspaper, just watching a ball game, uh, there's nothing in that. It might be fun, it might be entertaining, and I like to watch football games, but there's nothing in that that's going to build up my faith in Christ. And it doesn't take long, and you get distracted, and you get discouraged, and you get disappointed. So we have to, it's a constant thing. Y'all understand the point. It's constantly putting our mind back on the Lord. It's constantly bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's constantly casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring those thoughts captive. It's not one time and I've got it. I did that five years ago. I did that when I got saved. I'm good now. You're not good now and neither am I. I have to do that. I have to do that constantly. Maybe we don't have to do it quite as much or maybe some area where God really has grown us and, and we have progressed to where that's not the struggle it used to be. That is real, those victories. But, but, but the, the being reminding of, reminded of the things of God, bringing those thoughts captive, that's continual. Continual, continual, continual. And, and this is what Paul, uh, Peter's saying, I don't want to be negligent to put, the, put you in remembrance of these things. Okay? And so, Peter knew... And we're going to read this passage. You can go on and turn there and keep your spot marked in 2 Peter. Uh, turn to John chapter 21. Peter knew that he, he, the type of death that he was going to die. I mean, not exactly like was it going to be a sword or was it going to be a you know, hanging or whatever, but he knew he was going to die for the Lord. And... He, he knew at this point when he's writing 2 Peter, he's, he's an old man by this time. He knew because he trusted God, he didn't have a whole lot longer. This is the last epistle that he did write.
before he was martyred for the Lord. And I said it Sunday, all the disciples were martyred. Judas betrayed the Lord, hanged himself. John, they tried to, to kill and ended up, uh, legend, uh, history says that they tried to kill him in several different ways and they finally banished him to the island of Patmos where he died like as in exile as a prisoner. But, but still, uh, let's look at this. And this is Jesus' post-resurrection ministry where he was on the earth, earth for 40 days. And I want us to read 17 through 19. Now this is his little personal one-on-one conversation with Peter before he ascended. It says, He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now this is the third time, right? And Peter had denied the Lord three times, and now he's asking him three times, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Well, that's what he's doing in First and Second Peter. And that's what he did with his life. Besides bringing the gospel to people like Cornelius and his family and others where he preached the word, he's also feeding the sheep. And that's what he's doing in the epistle that we're writing. He's written, he's written to believers who were persecuted. He's written to believers that were scattered abroad. And with his last few breaths, he's wanting to stir them up in their remembrance. Don't forget it now. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Okay? And we don't want to get tired of hearing that. You know, when you were young and your parents would say, you know, don't, you're going on a trip. Don't forget to pack this or don't forget to buckle your seatbelt or whatever. And you get, you get tired of hearing. You roll your eyes like, I've heard it a thousand. Don't forget to call me when you get there. Don't forget. Don't forget. And, but this is what we really need to not forget. Okay? The things of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 18, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, and he was by the time he's writing that epistle, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. It's kind of, gosh, it's almost a little bit scary, but yet he's okay with it because he's, gonna, he's in God's hands. It's God's will. Stephen died as a martyr, probably a young man, okay? Maybe as soon as he had started his public ministry, I don't really know that that was the first occasion that ever, Stephen ever preached. But he was martyred then. Peter lives this long life and, and both fulfill the will of God. Both as believers did what they were supposed to do and died the death that glorified the Lord. That's all we can ask for is to be where the Lord would have us to be and to be in His will. This spake He signifying by what death He should glorify God. You know, a lot of people's death doesn't glorify God at all. Wouldn't you want, and don't you want your life, your life to glorify God in the way you die to glorify God? If you're sick, and people know you're sick, and it's a prolonged illness, and people come and visit you, that you're giving God the glory and testifying. You're going out strong, so to speak, in the faith, even though the body's decaying and getting weaker. Or however it might be, we want to go out, and I believe we all can. We can go out in such a way that it's in God's timing, it's in His will, and that that life glorifies God and the death glorifies God. And he said, uh, what death he should die, that should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. Two little words. That was the instructions. Peter, I'm telling you how your life's going to end. 
not telling you exactly when, but you're going to be an old man. But between here and there, I want you to feed my sheep. You said you love me. You do love me. And I'm going to strengthen you. And I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to show your love for me by doing what I've asked you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. That's how I want you to show your love to me. Because I love my sheep. And I want you to love them. Okay? And, and then he says, follow me. Well, that following literally in his life led him right to the cross. Peter would die on the cross. Peter died upside down on the cross and he asked to be crucified that way because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified right side up like his Lord. An amazing thing. But y'all, it's just a man of faith, right? Just a man of faith like you and I are. He didn't set himself up as the Pope. He said, I'm a, I'm a like believer like y'all in 1 Peter. He says, those that are of like faith, I'm just one of y'all. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus as well. He was different in the sense that he was an eyewitness to the Lord and he had a special calling of God upon his life. He was chosen to be one of the 12 disciples, which later became the 12 apostles after Pentecost. But still, he was a man, a child of Adam, who got saved by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So, let's go back to, uh, to 2 Peter. And he says, I want to stir, stir up the saints by bringing these things to remembrance. Why? Because we, we, we can forget very easily. I said it at the beginning. Why do we have to be reminded? Because we forget very quickly. It's very uh, plain and simple in our life. Experiences tell us that. He's not writing to believers because they were ignorant trying to educate them of something. That would be different. Let's say that some of these believers in Albania that knew nothing, only had a New Testament, didn't have the Old Testament, and you started talking to them about Noah and the ark and God's judgment on the earth, and it was all new to them. That's an exciting thing to bring that to someone. But he's talking here to believers who are new to the truth, and he says, and are you established in it? You got a firm standing, and yet still, the man of God by the Holy Ghost is still saying, but God told me to remind you. As long as I'm in this earthly body, I'm going to keep reminding you. You already know it. I'm not insulting your intelligence like you don't know it. Uh, but remember, this kind of knowledge is that experiential knowledge to be fully acquainted with. You know it and you know Him. And you're established in this present truth and yet still, God wants to remind us. I say it all the time. It doesn't say in Hebrews that, uh, that don't, for, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as, as a matter of some is. But all that have been encouraging one another, provoking one another to love and good works. And then what does it say? And all the more, all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, the day of the Lord is 2,000 years closer to us than it was to Peter in that day, right? And so all the more. So don't, don't think it that if, we, if you know, Sunday, let's say we preach a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. And you can quote them and you can sing the songs and you know the definitions of all of them. And yet God wants us to know it again and to hear it again. Or you know about the blood of Jesus or washing away our sins. And yet God would have me or someone to preach on it or teach Sunday school on it again. It's okay. We need it. It's just ingrained in us and it becomes uh, part of us. And God wants it to be part of us. Amen? And so uh, it's very similar to, to Paul's life in Acts where the Lord told him when he was very first called uh, and, and God and he was on the road to Damascus and he was blinded and he went into the city and God speaks to one of his men Ananias and says go pray for him 
And he says, when he went and prayed for him, it's obviously the Lord putting the words in Ananias' mouth. But he says, I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And, and he did. And Paul was beheaded for the Lord. There's a lot of similarity there. But when the Bible says to stir up in remembrance, that's what it says in King James. Stir up our minds in remembrance. It means to arouse, to awake uh, fully, to fully wake up. You ever been halfway awake? You know, like watching TV or something, you kind of fall asleep watching TV. You're not quite out of it. You know, but, but that's how sometimes uh, believers go through our lives. Probably not all of our Christian life, but we can go through part of our Christian life that way. And, and uh, you know, I've just been spiritually out of it for a while. And the Lord's saying, wake up. That's what He says in Ephesians 5. Awake, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And He was speaking that to believers. Wake up. And that He's saying to stir it up, uh, stir up our minds in way of remembrance. And so, I want to talk about this um, for pretty much the remainder tonight. I want to talk about this putting off the tabernacle and what Peter was talking about, what the Word of God is talking about. So, he says in verse 13, Yeah, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. Okay? That means like a tent or a temporary dwelling. To stir you up by putting you in remembrance. In chapter 3, he's going to say almost the exact same thing. Talking about end times events that are coming. Knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle. He uses the word again. Even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. We just read that in John 21. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Okay. Um, verse 15. Now, let's just talk about this for a little while. This is exciting. This is good news, what he's talking about here. And Peter is writing something because when it's written down at last, it's at last uh, a written ministry, there's a great benefit to it, right? The Bible, for example, is written. It just didn't die out with the people who lived it. It was written down, the oracles of God, and uh, it was written by the Holy Ghost. And we're going to talk about that later in this chapter. But a written ministry lasts after the body goes in the grave. I read Moody and I read Tory and I read you know, these other wonderful men and certainly the, the Bible. And so he's writing this down. The Lord had him to write it down. But he wanted them to be in remembrance. There's always a danger, even though we know the truth, of being distracted from it. And so it's written here for us. And then... Uh, when he says tabernacle, that has to do with this earthly body. That's all that is. It's a temporary dwelling, y'all. We put so much time, and, and I do as well, we put so much time and effort and concern into our earthly tabernacles, our bodies. And if we would spend even half that time on our spiritual man, think about where we would be. Think about where we'd be spiritually. Think about the, the things God would let us in on. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Those that, those, uh, that means the intimate fellowship. The things that God would show us. And there's a wonderful passage here. In, uh, let's turn and look at it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because this makes it very clear. We're talking about the rapture. We're talking about the changing of this body. This physical body. And that's what Peter's talking about when he says his tabernacle. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read 1 through 8. If you're ever doing a study on the judgment seat of Christ, the rapture, what kind of body we're going to have in heaven, any of that kind of topic, this would be a great passage to go through. Actually, 1 through 10. But let, let's read starting at verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we may have, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so the earthly tabernacle is going to dissolve or pass away or to be changed. It's this flesh and blood, the Bible says, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's a, that's a biblical fact. Flesh and blood, like we're sitting here now, heart pumping our human blood through these physical fleshly bodies. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to go there. Well, what, what is going to happen then? Well, we're going to look at it just a little bit. He says we have a building. He doesn't call this second one. The heavenly body is not called a tabernacle because a tabernacle was a temporary building. You remember when, they, when God had Moses build the tabernacle just the way he prescribed it with the badger skins and the overlaying coats and they would pack it up and there were certain people that were prescribed to the Levites to pack it and move it and carry certain parts and they would follow the cloud and when the cloud stayed in one spot or the pillar of fire stayed in one spot, then hey, this is where God's gonna, you're going to be for a while. Set up the tabernacle and you see it move. Why? Because it's temporary. The tabernacle was temporary. The temple that was made was more of a permanent place, a meeting place for man and God. God can't, doesn't, you know, he, 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 uh, heaven of heavens can't contain him, but he chose to set his name there, and it was built in Jerusalem, the temple, and it wasn't called the tabernacle anymore. Okay? And so think about these earthly bodies are temporary dwelling places. The body we're going to have that's fit for eternity is just that. It's not called a tabernacle or tent. It's called a, a building. We have a building of God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That tells us a lot about it right there. For in, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our, our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we should not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Or that this temporal mortal life would be swallowed up or changed into the, what's eternal and immortal. And that immortal life, y'all, that we have now as believers... We've passed from death to life. John chapter 5. It's already taken place. But the body we now live in is not. And that's all we're talking about right now. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. In other words, God has done this. He's doing this. This is a work of God. Who also have given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Or the down payment of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident. Knowing that whilst we are at home in the body... We're absent from the Lord. Not that His presence can't, presence can't be with us, but we're not really in His home, in His dwelling place. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 
Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's believer's judgment. That's who all, it's all believers, okay? Uh, judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body, that's the earthly life, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I'll just stop there. But I think it's very interesting, I think it's very significant that, that our salvation is not totally complete. As far as our eternity being secure, that's complete. Our sins forgiven, born again, eternal life, heaven's our home, that's our a very sure future. It can't be undone. Alright? But there's more to it. It's even better. It's even better than we're expecting now. Uh, we're going to be changed. And our body will be like the body that Jesus was raised from the dead in. And that's a perfect body. And it's not flesh and blood. It's flesh and bone and spirit. And it's that new body. It's a real body. But it's not like this body. It's going to be made for eternity. It's built for eternity. Even though we're totally saved and totally forgiven right now, this body is still has that uh, nature of Adam, being a descendant of Adam in a fallen race, in a fallen world. And the, the new body is not. We're born of the Spirit. And the new body we're going to be clothed upon uh, that he was talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 is immortal. And... It leads, the time of that leads right to the judgment seat of Christ. That's why that was tied in together right there. These are not two different things. It's at the rapture, at the rapture of the church, that we are going to receive our new bodies. And it's right following, I don't know if it's like instantly, it probably is going to be really close, but right after the rapture will be the judgment seat of Christ. And one by one, you know, he won't, he won't bring us all in together and all of our family members or all of our Christian contemporaries. Every man's going to be judged according to his works, what he's done in his body. Again, not for things that are under the blood. Not for things before you were saved that are sinful, okay? And not for things since you've been saved that are under the blood, that are sinful. If I ask God to forgive me of something I did today, and, he, and he's faithful and just to forgive me, he's not going to recall that up and say, you know, yeah, you're saved, but I'm, I'm calling this back up at the judgment seat of Christ. He won't do it. That's, that's done away with in the blood of Jesus. So it's, it's an exciting thing. And Peter knew this was coming for him. That He knew that his time was getting close. And so again, that this physical body is a, is a tent, Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Probably many of you, if not all of you in here, could do a lesson on this yourself. And you know these things. But we want to look at them. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start reading in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in incorruption. I mean, incorruption and raised in incorruption. It's a corruptible body. But when it's raised by God, it's going to be incorruptible. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I love the way the Bible is just so clear like that. You know, he's just said there's a natural body. There's a spiritual body. 
Oh, okay. So there's two different ones, right? And so it's sown one way, it's raised another. Verse 47. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, so, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall, that's future for us, bear the image of the heavenly. All right, read one more passage. Um, or read verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. There are many more scriptures we could look at about the rapture. But the Bible says in Philippians 3 that we have our conversation in heaven. We have our lifestyle almost like on this earth. Our lifestyle is heavenly and the Holy Ghost lives in us. But he says that one day the Lord's going to raise these vile bodies. These vile bodies are going to be changed. Okay? They're vile in the sense that they're weak, they're corruptible, they're rotten, so to speak. They're breaking down, they're wearing down. How many of you know your body's breaking down? It's not getting better. It's not improving. Okay? Uh, it's slowly but surely breaking down. But you know what? I'm not depressed about that normally. Sometimes I can get a little depressed when I try to play tennis with the boys and they smoke me now. Uh, and I say, I used to beat them so bad. Or play basketball. And I say, I used to wear them out. And now they're wearing me out. I get a little depressed. But this encourages me, amen? That, that uh, this is it's going to be glorious. It's not just better. It's not new and improved. It's glorious. It's going to be like His. What will it be like to never be tired? What, I don't know. You know, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't say. Uh, what will it be like to not, you know, not feel weak or hurt or, you know, backs hurting or whatever. Anyway, it's going to be. It's going to be awesome. And so this is what the Bible's talking about. And so the rapture, the body will be raised, and it won't be a tabernacle anymore. It's going to be a house. It's going to be a building eternal in the heavens that the Lord has made for us. And so I just want to be bringing this to, to a close that Peter wanted to, them to be mature. He wanted the believers to be mature and established. We don't want to, I mean, I want my children to be mature. You know what I mean? When you, you want your children to grow up and be responsible. You want them to take something like a man, take it on your shoulders, face it square on. You might fail, you might succeed, but I'm going to take this square on. I'm not shirking the responsibility. I want to be mature. I want to be a man about it or a woman about it and strong. And here Peter was saying he wanted to remind them of these things. He talks about these things four times. You know, these things, these things. He's talking about this knowledge of God, the truth of God, growing in God, adding to your faith virtue and a virtue, perseverance and brotherly kindness. He wanted us to know these things. And He doesn't want them to be babies. And the Lord doesn't want us to be babies. Boo-hooing all the time. I'm not mocking our trials or tribulations. I do boo-hoo about things, okay? And I go through trials and tribulations. But I don't want to stay a baby. I want to grow up. I want to be mature. And in order to do that, we need to be gathered together when it's time for church. 
and Sunday school and prayer, and we're not gathered together, you need to be gathering with the Lord, you know, daily. As we need to be practicing what we preach, we need to be putting into to practice what God has revealed to us through His Word by the power of the Holy Ghost. We need to be living this thing and walking it out. And I've failed the Lord so many times, but y'all, I can still grow. I, I don't just have to stay the little baby playing in the playpen and crying because uh, over spilled milk. I, I can be get up and be moving on. And these, these things are to increase in our lives and to abound in our life and be multiplied in our life. And, and we're established in it, but now we need to grow in it and keep moving on. And this is what, uh, what Peter's talking about here. It, these things are important and they're even more important when you're coming to the end of your life like Peter was, his earthly life. Now you think about it, parents. I'll just use parents for an example right now. If you knew you had this one more day with your children and the Lord was going to call you away, I know you'd spend every second with them. There's no doubt about that. But whatever you said to them would be the most important things that you wanted to leave them with. There's just no doubt about it. If you knew it. Now we don't always have that blessing or privilege, I guess you would say, to know. And that's just the mysteries of God. But Peter did know he was about to depart. Paul did know. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. And he said, Timothy, you know, preach the word. I charge you before God. You preach the word. And he says, I fought the good fight. And there's this crown laid up, not for me only, but all that love is appearing. And so what he's saying in those last words, what Jesus said before he went to the cross, when he says, you're in the world, but not of the world. And if you're of the world, the world would love his own and so forth. The things he's saying to them, and after he rose from the dead, and what he's saying to Peter, Peter, do you really love me? Feed my sheep. These are the last words that are, are so important. And you know they would be important if you just had the last moment with your church, with your children, with your spouse, with whoever it would be. Because you want them to do well. All the foolishness is over right then. If you were having a little fight or something at that moment, that's all forgotten. And you're wanting to impart to them your heart and what's going to be beneficial for them. Remember what I'm saying. Well, just picture Peter doing that. Remember what I'm saying. Okay? I, I'm about to go. The Lord showed me I'm about to go. And I'm going to put off this tabernacle and it's going to be wonderful because I'm going to get a house instead of a tent. I'm going to get a permanent home. But what he's saying is important. And the Holy Ghost brings it to life to us 2,000 years later and says, yep, it's important. It's important. Hang on to it. You know, and I'll say, tell me about, tell, come and teach it back to me in a few days. You know what I mean? I need to hear it. I need to hear it. And so we're going to move on to, I'm really excited about uh, next week. Actually, next week, y'all, we're having a prayer meeting. Uh, it'll be the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know if some people might be traveling, but, but our, our service will be a prayer meeting a week from tonight. And we're going to come and thank the Lord and, and uh, <clears throat> take communion together and that kind of thing. But the next time we study Second Peter in two weeks, uh, Lord willing, if he hasn't raptured us by then, is going to get in some wonderful things about the sure word of prophecy we have through the word of God. No, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. There's a lot of good things there. 
But I just want to close with that. And William, if you would come. I know he's going to uh, ask William to close tonight with the altar music tonight. But can you just pray with me tonight?